Good morning. How are you? Good. Are you here? Or are you just sitting there? <laughs> awesome. Well, today we're going to jump back into Ephesians 6. Uh, I had started uh, Spiritual Warfare two Sundays ago, and we want to get back into it. Um, but I also want to just expand it a bit. I, I pray for a bit of license today from you to go and add a bit from other scriptures to pack it out, because there'll be varying degrees of understanding in the room around spiritual warfare. So I just trust that God will lead us and, and highlight what he wants to highlight and that we will learn today. Lord, we just lift our, our ears and our hearts to you. We ask that you'd speak. Where else would we go, Lord? You alone have the words to life. We yield ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We covered the first bit of this, uh, the first two verses um, on uh, two Sundays ago. But I'd like to just quickly go over what we're going to cover today. And let's just go through it. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the schemes of the devil. That you would stand it to hold your ground. So we all listen up on this. How are you going to hold your ground? For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Sorry, you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. I just want to highlight a few things that that may seem obvious, but I want to also give a context to when, when, when the writers of the New Testament bring up someone like the devil. I've said before that Paul is a master chef. And I'm always intrigued on how he serves his meals. And context matters. And what is the context of even now what Paul is bringing up here? Well, you'll remember that he pairs often, and James pairs, as well as Peter pairs when they're serving this particular dish, they pair with it something interesting. So what happened before, what Paul's speaking about before, is about submission and authority. He speaks about in the, the first half, or sorry, the second half of Ephesians 5, he talks about husbands and wives' relationship. As we go into chapter 6, the beginning, he talks about children and parent relationships. And then he talks about master-slave relationship. And then he goes into this topic of when all else stand. I want to show you this because I think it's a critical thing for us to understand. Because sometimes we can take scripture and go, okay, there's that scripture. I'm going to walk in it. But you must get the context. Because the context actually illuminates it better. It helps us actually understand it and digest it. 1 Peter 5, a very familiar passage. The, the most familiar part of this passage is actually verse 8. But I want to give you the context with which Peter is pairing this with. Likewise, you young people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Then we get into be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 
But understand the, the, what came before that. Understand how critical it is for us to, under, to, to take that in and digest it in order to be able to walk in verse 8. James, chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How often we say, just receive God's grace. Why don't you humble yourself and receive God's grace? Give the full context, or people get frustrated. I'm trying to receive. Well, hum, get on your knees. You know, Humble yourself. Then you receive God's grace. Broaden it out. Broaden it so we can, so we can digest it and walk in these things. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Satan, get away from me. Satan, get away. Submit to God first, then resist the devil. It's axiomatic. It's almost a mathematical nature to it. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You draw near to God. God, where are you? Draw near to God. Push in. Hungry people meet with God. Cleanse your hand, you sinners. Whoa, easy now. And purify your heart, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Who wants to be lifted up? So just do what it says. Humility. Humility is a critical, it's critical to walking in victory. Critical. I mean, I summarize humility as basically reality. I think that's why it's so important is you're embracing reality. It's not false modesty. It's, it's, it's truly understanding your place before God. Sometimes we forget our place. I know I often do. It's like, dude, get back in your place. Understand your place. What have I got that I haven't been given? Why do I boast as though I've made it myself? And yet one hand, I'll, I will say these wonderful scriptures, the Lord gives me all things. But in the end, I think I got them. The very breath I'm breathing is from God. If you withdraw it at any time, dead. It's just reality. Humility is critical for us. And I'm going to expand more on this in, in, at the latter end as we look at the life of Jesus. But I want to continue here. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Some would say we battle not, but the wrestle is important. The Greek word is pele. And it shows you the nature of the battle that you and I are in right now. Right now. And wrestle means a context between two in which each endeavor to throw the other, in which is decided when the victor is able to hold his opponent down with his hand upon his neck. It's an important Greek word. I actually thought I'd read from, I wrote this down in my Bible. You're allowed to do that in pencil about 15 to 20 years ago. And I said, it's interesting, saying to myself for future is, why did God not give us a spiritual bow and arrow instead of sword? Because it war, the war that we're in is not one that is afar off, but one that's up close and personal. You will see the whites of your enemy's eyes. It's personal. It's intimate. The scheming of the devil knows you very well and potentially knows you better than you know yourself. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. 
What are you wrestling with today? Who are you wrestling with today? Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, hmm, that's weird. Because I see a whole lot of flesh and blood doing some things out there. There's a whole lot of flesh and blood raping and pillaging, stealing, taking advantage of people. They look like humans to me. When I see it, people seem to be flesh and blood shooting each other. Flesh and blood ripping unborn children out of the mother's wombs. All manner of depravity seems to be happening. But why is my wrestle not with that? Because that's what I see. That's why it's so important for us to get into the word to understand the warfare we're in. And if it's revealed in the book, we need to know. If it's not revealed in the book, I'm good. But the book does give us insight. And we need to be strategic in in understanding our enemy. Like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, we are not ignorant to the schemes of the devil. When I'm going into a certain conflict, World War I, World War II, Vietnam, you would study what you're going into and the nature of your enemy, how they fight, with what weapons do they use. You wouldn't overstudy. You want to know what you have in power, but you need an understanding of who you're dealing with here. So who's behind this? Well, we, we read this, and we actually preached through this recently. Again, I'm going to give you a bit of context. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. A spirit is at work. Hmm. There's a spirit at work. Remember Nicodemus in John chapter 3? He couldn't understand what Jesus was saying, born again. And he was juxtaposing, he's trying to explain to him, flesh bears flesh, is, bears flesh, spirit bears spirit. The two don't mix. And we start to get an insight here that we cannot fight spirit with flesh. And this will be pounded over and over again through Paul's letters. I'll give you another scripture. But even if the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this aged devil has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. It's interesting. Jesus, it, Jesus it says that he did not need anyone to tell him what was in man, for he knew already. We need to understand the nature of what we're dealing with to be effective. It's so important to know who you are in Christ. It's important to know where you are in Christ. Well, I'm just here. Where are you? It's important to know what you are, body, soul, and spirit. This is fact. This is science, as it were. We have to understand these things. And this is so important to us as Christians that when we see these these, uh, manifestations through humanity and through the flesh, 
we don't counter it with our own ideas and strengths, mixing with our own insecurities and fears. And you see this all the time on social media. Christians saying things that are like, but they feel righteous. They feel like they're doing something, but it's just flesh versus flesh. I know you may sleep at night well with that, but we want to be impactful, man. I'm giving my life not to a religion and flesh and going through the motions. I want to see impact and be useful to the living God. John 6, 6 says the flesh profits nothing. Excuse me? Nothing? Yeah, I'd like to. Dude, you don't know what? I have built this flesh up quite well. You should see my resume. Nothing. Nothing. So nothing what? Nothing in the spiritual realm. This is why you keep going around the mountain. This is why you never see breakthrough. This is why you never seem to get over. Or when you get over, you revert back. There's a mixture of the spirit and the flesh. Galatians chapter 3, Paul rebukes this church, uh, the region of Galatia, because of this. You who began in the spirit will be perfected through the flesh. They were legalists. There's a separation that's needed that we must understand. Where am I positioned right now in my flesh? Well, Nick, you're in the cinema. Correct. What kind of body do I have? Well, you look like you have a middle-aged 51-year-old man's body. Yep. Yep. 51. Yes, ma'am. I got some money in the bank. Not a ton. Look at my resources. As much as I love to pull people over on their phones because it drives me crazy, texting, I can't. I have no authority. I'm just Nick, sales rep, help, help lead a church. But where am I spiritually? Where's my spiritual man? Seated in the heavenly in Christ Jesus, overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. I have eternal life. I mean Christ. And this is what Paul drove home, Ephesians chapter 1, right on, boom, all of these treasures given to us in heavenly realms. So which one should I walk in, the flesh or the spirit? Wait, Nick, the flesh puts on a good show. Like that's a ranch and a raven and doing, and the prayer sounds so good. But if it's flesh, it profits nothing. It profits nothing. In Jude, Paul writes to to Jude, and he speaks of false brethren. These people that come in and they start ranting and raving, but they've forgotten their place. They've forgotten the place of humility. They've gotten off their knees long ago. And they start just reviling all manner of deities and, and just start taking everything and just start warring in a way that's clearly in the flesh. And remember, flesh can masquerade in so many different ways. But this is what he says. You should read it. It's false brethren. He says, likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh. They reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he dis- with the dispute about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling ac- accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. It's sobering. Don't you guys find pride is always somewhere there? If you get off your knees, man, that's shocking. I know this sermon is for you, not for the person next to you. This sermon's for me. Don't think yourself strong lest you fall in humility. We cannot win walking and living and fighting through the flesh. 
And I understand this is beyond the scope of Ephesians chapter 6. I get it. But I feel it's so important to remind us of the context with which we're speaking. The safest place to start every morning is on your knees with thanksgiving on your lips. It is the safest place. Nick, I'm feeling like garbage. I don't know what to do. The Lord is far from me. Thank you, Lord. I lift you high. I thank you for all that you give me. And from there, there's reality. That's humility. You're starting in truth. To him who does not work but believes on the one who justifies the ungodly. To him his his faith is counted as righteousness. Nick, you're not a good person. I know I'm not, but he is. Nick, you suck. Yeah, great, I suck. But he doesn't. And that's where I'm in. I don't have self-esteem. It's Christ-esteem. I'm just a broken man without him. Ask my wife. And I mean that with all sincerity. I see my brothers. They're messed up without Christ. They're messed up even with Christ, but we're working through it. Come out to Freedom House. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's continue. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. That's quite a mouthful. The Satan is definitely not alone. There's a whole army here, and it sounds pretty organized. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's pretty, wow. Whatever those mean, and I've looked them up. I didn't feel the share on it, but uh, it, it's, it, it's impactful. It's an organized unit. Now, the question I have is that, did Satan design this army? Did he create this army? And of course, I don't believe he did. Well, who did? Jesus. He is the image of the first invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Mic drop. So what happened? Did did Jesus design this for Satan? No. It was an attempted coup in heaven. An attempted, as it were, military coup. And a third of the angels he convinced. And you can, as you piece it together, you, there's not a ton on it, but you see in Isaiah 14, it says, he, son of the morning star, Lucifer, and looked and wanted to be like the most high God. And with him he convinced a third. He convinced a third of the angels in heaven. Watch out for the scheming of the devil. You don't think he's the best salesman in this room? You don't think he knows? You don't think he's been around? You don't think he comes as an angel of light, convincing you of various weird doctrines? You want to go this way? Let's go, let's go, let's go. Pushing you out of balance. Pushing you into things that seem right, but they're off course. The military coup failed. I love in Luke, is it Luke 10 or 11? He says, I saw Satan fall like a lightning. You ever seen lightning? Boom, gone. Who does he think he is? He forgot his place. Think what pride does. That Satan, a created being, could think he could usurp the very creator. Standing in the very glory of God. That's what pride does, man. It blinds us. It blinds us. 
And next week, we're going to talk about the armor of God that God has provided for each one of us to stand strong. But I'm going to conclude this message around Jesus and what we can learn from some of his encounters with Satan, the devil. Now, many of us are aware of the temptation of Christ, uh, follow his baptism, where he comes to Jesus. He's trying to persuade him to join the rebellion. And what is the first two he says to him? What are the first things he gets into question? He's trying to question him. Do you remember? If you are the son of God. Now, what did God the Father say one chapter before? This is my beloved son. It's been said. Now, I don't know what he's trying to do here. To maybe get him to show off, to turn these stones into bread, to something. He's trying to dig around. Maybe to ignite something of pride. He's trying to tempt him with that very thing he was tempted with. It's almost comical that that which is created would come to the creator and try and tempt him. It's idolatry, isn't it? To force upon these instincts of a creator, create the created onto the creator. And he fishes around in there. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into rocks. If you are the son of God, challenging the word of God. And there's nothing new in Satan. What does he say to Eve? Genesis 3. Did God really say, always going after the word? Did he really say that? Are you really the son of God? You need to prove it. And then it's like he says, oh, forget it. Just If you just worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms and their glory. It's like it wasn't a long self pitch here. But he's like, oh, it's not working. Worship me and I'll give you this. No concept of who he's talking to. Who did not think something to be co-equal with his father is something to be grasped, but emptied himself, making himself lower than an angel, the angels. Died as a criminal. He doesn't, he doesn't have any concept of who he's talking to. But it's clear that Satan doesn't give up there. In Luke, it says he, he waits. He says he leaves him. When he'd ended every temptation, he departed from him, waiting for another opportune time. Scheming. Always scheming. But this is interesting to me, and this is highlights for me where kind of pull, brings a full circle for me. Jesus says this. I will no longer talk much with you. The rule of the world is coming. He has nothing in me. He was fishing around. Nothing to latch on to. How about this? Latching on. Couldn't find a thing in him. There was nothing to get him to stumble. He was tempted with all, yet all points, yet with, without sin. He tried in multiple areas. How about us? <laughs> Where are we at? How are we walking? I think it's too late in the day for pride. Somebody told me it's Pride Month. I was like, what? Perfect. God resists the proud. Gives grace to the humble. He will not share his glory with another. We have to humble ourselves. 
start from that place. It creeps in so much. I'm amazed in my life how pride can creep in. Masquerades, hooks into things. See, it's kind of what Freedom House is about for us. Get rid of the stuff it can be hooked into. Your abuse as a kid results in insecurity. Maybe now you abuse. Maybe you were a victim, so now you want to be a victor, and now you abuse other people. All of these things, criticalness, insecurity, these are hooks that you can get into, drag you down. You say, pride is this. No, pride is self-pity. It's you. It's me. It's all about you. It's self. And if I'm Satan and I'm thinking about getting you, where am I going to draw you into, your spirit or your flesh? I'm going to neutralize you. You're going to do all kinds of huffing and puffing, thinking you're doing something. You ain't doing jack. And this is what we must understand about what the warfare that we are in. We must come into alignment and agreement. We must humble ourselves before the Lord and accept our place and be happy with it. As children of God, often we will confess at Freedom House or in deliverance, what Christ has done. This is what we did last week, actually, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15. Or chapter 15, verse 1, sorry. This is the gospel. Jesus Christ died. He was buried, and he was resurrected. We proclaim that. Then we speak of our interest in his blood and what he has done. Our faith in him. And then it's critical that we speak of, because of that faith in him, we are now children of the Most High God. We are no longer orphans. We no longer fight for ourselves. We no longer hoard our money. We no longer hoard the various things, but we are free and open with them because our Father is free and open. We now pray for our enemies. Why? Because our Father prays for our enemies. We no longer feel like we have to fight it out because he has fought it out. And it's out from that place of a child. We now seek and, and desire to walk with him in all things. So I just encourage us with this contemplation. Because you can take on, here's the full armor of God. Okay, salvation, okay, okay, God. And, and it can be almost a mathematical thing in a sense where there's no understanding of the heart and no understanding of your position and your place before God. Most accounts that I can read in the scripture, in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, John, when they meet Jesus Christ, they go, fall as dead men. They fall in his presence. They're like, whoa. There is something about God that when you, when you meet him, you know your place in his unveiled glory. God has plans for us as a people. God has things that he wants to do through us. But I'm telling you, there's stuff he wants to do in us. God loves you as a child. And just as I look at my own children and I see some things, I go, hmm, that's not going to be good in the future. How do I as a father deal with that? How do we deal? How, we, how do we help them mature and grow and bear fruit? in their character. This is such an important part of when we get into spiritual warfare, character. The things inside that we got to get out, get rid of. If you want to do anything for God, because it's just another going around the mountain, if you don't deal with that unforgiveness and that bitterness and that lust and the various pursuits of the world and all of these things, if they, you just keep going around and around and around. Because when the devil comes to fight, he finds things in you. It's just the truth. Let's stand together, please. Thank you, Lord. 
We so honor your name. We lift you high. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We declare the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ in this place. We declare his supremacy. We declare that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We just declare that over our lives afresh. We believe, Lord. We believe. By faith, we appropriate all that you've done. By faith, we die. By faith, we're buried. By faith, we are raised up. We just declare that over our lives. I encourage you today. When Paul says in, in Ephesians 6, 12, he says, finally, another way of saying is henceforth, you may have messed up your life right up to this day. All you have to say now is henceforth, I'm done. Henceforth, I'm moving on. Henceforth, I'm leaving this stuff. Henceforth, I'm going to follow God. Henceforth, I'm going to let him work on me. I'm going to humble myself. Henceforth, quit looking back. Look forward. Right now, he can only live. Choose you this day whom he will serve. So Lord, I just pray your grace and your mercy to draw each one. Thank you, Lord. I'm just going to ask these guys to sing this song. Just Holy Spirit, we just ask that you administer your word, that you administer to each one. We just want reality, Lord.